helping disciple makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Ethridge. Welcome back to the Disciple First Podcast. My name is Craig Etheridge. I'm your host, and this is a podcast by disciple makers for disciple makers. And today, we are, I'm very excited to have uh, with us uh, Philip Nation. Philip is the Director of Content Development at Lifeway Christian Resources. Uh, he holds a Master of Divinity at Beeson Divinity School and a Doctor of Ministry from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Philip has been a pastor and minister of education, church planter. He also serves as a teaching pastor at the Fellowship, a multi-site church in Nashville, and he is also an author. In fact, uh, he co-wrote uh, the book Transformational Discipleship, How People Really Grow. Uh, he's also the assistant professor of leadership and biblical studies at Houston Baptist University. So uh, Philip uh, is very, very well versed on disciple making, and he's a good friend, and we got to hang out together recently at the Groups Matter Conference in North Carolina and got to know Philip a little bit more. Philip, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Oh, I am glad to do it. I think we're going to have a great conversation. Absolutely, man. I've been so excited to have you on because at the Groups Matter Conference, you spoke about a topic that is really uh, important to disciple makers, and that is this topic about curriculum. And you know what should we have it? Should we not have it? How do you get it? What what? How do you decide uh, about uh, curriculum? And so uh, I'm really excited to dive into that topic. Uh, but before we do, I just give us a little background about you and your heart for ministry and your heart for disciple making and and how why is this an important thing to you? Well, it all connects. Uh, in my life, really in in my older teenage years and into my early 20s, I, I was uh, born again uh, as a child uh, and came to faith at a pretty early age because of the influence of my parents. But then sensing a call to ministry uh, when I was around 15 years old, like most 15-year-old boys, I thought, what in the world is going on? There's no way this can be the, you know, this could be true. But really did sense that this is what God was calling uh, me to do, was to communicate truth for the rest of my life. And and then as an older teenager, a young man by the name of Matthew, who was an associate pastor in our church, came alongside of me and several other young guys that we all felt a call to ministry and discipled us. As a matter of fact, he discipled us for three years in a, in a systematic way. And it changed my perspective on what ministry would be, that it's not just a guy standing on a platform preaching for 30 minutes once a week, but instead it is how does a small group of people who are really concerned about each other's lives and each other's growth, how can that make a difference? And so that's why, for me, discipleship is so critical that it not just be kind of pie-in-the-sky idea, but it be boots-on-the-ground how do we get into each other's lives in such a way that we we really do promote love and good deeds, as the as the writer of the New Test in the New Testament says, in one another's lives? And so, I find myself having, as you uh, gave in the introduction, I've been vocationally in ministry for all of my adult life. I've been a church planter and I've been a minister of education, and now in this season, I've worked uh, in a publishing company at Lifeway Christian Resources for the last few years, helping to supply 
discipleship resources, Bible studies and, and mm-hmm. books and, and retreats and conferences to people uh, in order to facilitate growth. So it is, uh, it, it's the joy of my life. Well, it was really obvious as you were talking at that conference, I really connected with your heart for disciple-making. And uh, you can tell when a guy is, has received uh, the investment of somebody. You know, it just changes you and makes you want to give that out uh, to someone else. Um, you wrote recently or co-wrote recently this book, Transformational Discipleship. Um, and, and what a great book. What a great resource. What What are some things that, that uh, kind of came out of that book that were maybe aha moments for you or things that 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 maybe were solidified in you as a result of that work? Yeah, there were two phases of that whole work. Uh, The first was we at LifeWay Research did what we think to be the largest discipleship research project that's been done in North America, where we surveyed 1,000 pastors about discipleship in their church and over 4,000 Protestant church-going members of churches about their personal journey. And then we also did some other qualitative interviews with discipleship experts. And and then out of that, then my friends Eric Geiger, Michael Kelly, and I wrote this book. And probably one of the one of the first aha moments that that came out of the whole project for us is that too many people are defining discipleship poorly, and and most likely they define it as either just mere transfer of knowledge, or they define it as behavior modification. Mm-hmm. Can I make you know more Bible factoids, and can I make you act like a good little boy? And then we call that discipleship and we move on, rather than this deep heart transformation. And and so the first realization that I came away from is that most people are just defining discipleship really poorly because either lack of time, lack of resources, or I just hated the fact that I've got a great story of personal discipleship, and so few people really do. Is that what you're finding as well, that few people have a story of discipleship? Yeah, especially at the pastor-leader level. Uh, when I when we do our conferences and we talk to pastors all the time, so many of them say, you know, I was never discipled. I mean, I, I loved Jesus, came to Christ, went to church, you know, sat through the programs there, went to seminary, and this is what the pastors do, and... I'm just doing what I've been shown, and um, very few are, have ever said, you know, I've had a guy, like your story, you had a guy yeah. you know, pour into me, really taught me, really trained me, walked before me, walked in relationship with me, uh, and as a result, uh, they don't really know how to give out what they haven't received, and right. uh, and that's a, that's a challenge. Yeah, and so that led us then to identify eight discipleship attributes, that as we look at believers and we could see growth and and forward motion in their maturity, we identified these eight markers. And the first one is not surprising. It's Bible engagement. And and that is the one that's the most influential in, on all the rest. And we all know that inherently to be the truth, that, hey, if you will engage with the Word, then everything else begins to fall into place. And mm-hmm. and yet, time after time after time, whether it's statistical research or whether it's just a pastor talking to the members of his church, we find it to be the case that so few believers 
are engaging the Bible in, in regular reading and study, and, and then you know things completely drop off the map when you get to memorization on any kind of regular basis. And so from that, and from those eight attributes, we set up a very simple definition that transformational discipleship happens when biblical truth is applied by a godly leader to a person who's in a teachable posture. And so it's truth, leadership, and posture. And if you can get those three things to converge, then you can have solid gospel transformation. So how does that distinguish between preaching? I mean, could that could that definition be um preaching a sermon if you have truth and it's being preached to somebody that is uh in a posture to hear? It, you know, it can be and and I would say that that preaching is a it's a significant factor in the discipleship of the people in a church because the role of pastor or preacher or teacher, however a church, you know, puts the the moniker on, whether it's as minister, reverend, doctor, you know, whoever that guy's called, that is a significant part of discipleship to hear the word proclaimed in that public fashion mm-hmm. that the body of Christ all says amen to. However, it can't be the only thing. Again, I'll reference some of the research we did. In one part of the research where we surveyed the the 1,000 pastors across North America, in one part of the research we asked them, what's the number one tool of discipleship in your church? And an overwhelming percentage, it was well over 70%, said the Sunday morning sermon is the number one tool of discipleship in our church. Well, later on in the survey, and sometimes you have to separate these kind of questions in order to get a true read of people's opinions, later on in the survey we asked the question, are you satisfied with the level of discipleship in your church? And less than 30% of those same pastors said that they were satisfied. And so you got a group of pastors that are they're, they're putting all their eggs in the basket of my sermon on Sunday morning is the number one tool of discipleship, and yet an overwhelming number of them are dissatisfied with mm-hmm. the level of discipleship in their people. So it's one factor, but it can't be the only factor. And so we yeah. have lives that are bumping up against each other, so that people can can take the biblical truth and, and they can work it out in in the everyday relationships that they have, and not just the Sunday morning worship experience that that we value. You know, it's interesting that at one point, about two years into Jesus' ministry, he spends seventeen times with the crowd and forty six times with a few. It's like four times as much time in the back year of his ministry, just investing in the few as opposed to just relying on preaching to the crowd. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is, hey, preaching to the crowd is important. It's a part of uh, the maturation process of a person spiritually, but it can't be the only uh, thing that happens. You've got to have people in your life coaching, modeling, investing, challenging, you know, <laughs> rebuking at times uh, to get people through the process. Is that what you're well, saying? That's, that's exactly right, which is why – you know, I've been I've been happy to spend this season of my life investing in the process of how do we put strong, solid, trustworthy curriculum content mm-hmm. into the hands of church leaders, whether that be pastors or or the you know the multitude of Bible study leaders from preschool, you know, Sunday school class teachers through some senior adult Bible study leaders. You know, what can we put in their hands? Because they're not seminary trained, they didn't go to Bible college, 
and they want to do the very best they possibly can by the people that have been entrusted to them by the Lord and by this church. And so what can we put in their hands that will help them be a hero of, of in the kingdom of God of guiding people to maturity? Well, that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. Uh, you you uh, talked about in the groups conference the importance of having a curriculum or choosing a tool, a disciple-making tool that you work people through. So why is that important? You know, some people think, well, if we just hang out and we just do life together, that's disciple-making. And you're kind of arguing that you you may need a tool to do that with. Why is that important? Well, I think that I would say it's important because discipleship doesn't happen by accident. It, it happens where there is intentionality. I'd also say that uh, even the that uh, you know little detail, which is not so little about Jesus's life, it, it sets a precedence for us that that Jesus, having the limited time that he did in earthly ministry, look at what he intentionally did with those men and those that were following him most closely. Mm-hmm. And so we know discipleship doesn't just happen by accident, and we can watch the example of Jesus. And I would even maintain that discipleship does not happen by natural inclination. I mean, our natural inclination is just to hang out, talk about the game, talk about our hobby, you know, talk about the kids, have a great meal together. And our natural inclination is not to let people in deeply because we don't want to risk hurt and we don't like accountability. And so without a plan of discipleship, which a curriculum uh, plan can can you know map that out for somebody, you know, if you do grow, it's not because anybody intended to and it's not <laughs> even because you intended to because you didn't want anybody messing with your stuff. And so and so that's why, you know, I and I and I would add in that really um that curriculum choices they spawn theological positions. Mm-hmm. And so if a church just decides, hey, we don't need that Bible study stuff, well, then you're putting the doctrinal positions of the, of the church into the hands of people who, have, who love Jesus and love the church, but maybe they're not ready to deal with the nuances of, of doctrine. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think about the importance of having some curriculum or I like to use the term a tool, a disciple-making tool, mm-hmm. um, that, number one, it, it guarantees that you hit the important things. And like you said, we may not not want to deal with a certain topic, but, but the tool forces you to deal with the important things. It also is helpful in reproduction to the third and fourth and fifth generation. You know, if, if you don't have a tool to follow, then the second, third, and fourth generation down from you uh, it may look completely different than what you did, but but the tool ensures that these priorities are being passed down to the person you disciple, to the person they disciple, to the person they disciple uh, after them. You know, you mentioned uh, in the groups conference, you said without a tool, without a curriculum, uh, you don't have a long-range plan, and you either fall into pooled ignorance or preference-based Bible study. What do you What do you mean by that? Well, and well, thanks. I appreciate the fact that you remembered that. Um, <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> so here's what I mean by those two things: is okay. So you've got a group, and and they don't have any plan, they don't have any curriculum, 
And so they do they can fall to the end of the spectrum of pooled ignorance where the group leader does not know how to ask a good question about a topic, a passage, a, a, a doctrinal issue. And so what they wind up doing is asking two questions. What do you think this passage means, and how does this make you feel? And, the, and those are the only two things that they know to do is, well, well, what does everybody think this means, and how does it make you feel? And so everybody's attitude and everybody's position becomes equal, and, and nobody can ever say, well, you're not correct, or wait, let's make sure that we drive to what is the point of this passage? What did it mean when it was originally spoken to the original hearers, and how do we apply that in today's culture? But instead, it just becomes this, you know, we're just pooling together our, all, you know, everybody has a lack of knowledge, and we're just going to throw it all together and get a kind of a spiritual fruitcake out of it. Or we go to the idea of preference-based studies. And in that instance, it's that a group becomes this one-note kind of, of topical group that they always want to talk about marriage because they're all young couples or they're all middle-aged couples and they all, all they want to talk about is parenting or it's a group of people that you know they're all obsessed with end times theology and so it, they go from one study of revelation to a study of daniel yeah. to a study of ezekiel <laughs> to a study of revelation and they just go and they just circle around and they never get to the whole counsel of god mm-hmm. because they just get to choose what they want next and and so uh, it's always dangerous uh, to let people just pool their ignorance or just, you know, have their own little pet theology that that's all they ever talk about. Right. So having this tool or this curriculum uh, keeps you off of either ditch and keeps you really moving toward what's important and how to pass that on. Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, and I, I know a lot of people are listening are pastors. And maybe they're saying, man, I really want to, I want to see a disciple-making movement begin in my church. I know that's what we need. It can't be just preaching. I need to empower my people to invest in, in others and reproduce spiritually. But I don't know how to pick a tool. So how, do, how does a pastor decide what curriculum or what tools to use? Yeah, the the language that that I use and that we use around here is starting point. What is your starting point? Because everybody wants to get to the everybody wants to get to a certain end goal that we can generalize that and we want people saved and we want people living like Jesus and we want them multiplying the impact of the gospel through verbal witness and and great ministry. Everybody wants to get to that that place. And so then you got to diagnose, you get this opportunity to diagnose what's our starting point. And we generally say, you know what, there's, there's generally four starting points for any Bible study group. It's either life, text, theology, or it's their own church. And so it's, it's life. They want to study life issues. They want to study marriage, parenting, the, the intersection of faith and social issues, or it's text. This is a group that they operate best when they are studying books of the Bible in a systematic fashion, or their or its theology. Here, this is a group, a set of groups, an entire church filled with groups. That man, they're really running on all cylinders because they kind of think in doctrinal frameworks. And so we need to study the doctrine of the church, and then the doctrine of revelation, and then the doctrine of sanctification, and the doctrine of salvation, or it's or it's your church. There are some churches is becoming more and more popular to align all of their small groups around the message series that's happening in the worship service so that there's one driving idea 
week after week after week. And so I, I would say for pastors and church leaders, it's, you know, start with diagnosis. How does your church operate best? And it also will help you to better understand maybe groups that you're a little crossways with because maybe you by nature are a text person and that group by nature is a topic, is a, is a life group. And so it helps you to better understand there. So start with what's the starting point of these groups. Right. You know, another great tool uh, that LifeWay has produced is the disciple disciple path, disciples path that uh, is really designed to walk people through a, a process of of growing and then designed to be reproduced in the lives of others. So you might give us just a, a minute about about what that is. Yeah, disciples path came out of the desire to to gather uh, church leaders together in a room and say, okay, what is it that will would be a robust reproducible process of disciple making so mm-hmm. that somebody could sit down with one person or a small group of people and and feed them what they need for an extended period of time but it would be a simple enough process to where that new believer or that newly growing believer could then turn around and say hey I could do this with a few friends and so it's very it, it is very life oriented in the sense that it's not about the workbook that you're holding in your hand. It's about the person that's sitting across from you, mm-hmm. and it's very discussion oriented. There's there's a there's a grace level of accountability where it is not about check boxes and lists and you know if you didn't do this go back and do it again, but rather hey let's let's drive through these passages together as human beings and see how they affect our weeks and and watch how they grow us in our understanding of God. And so that Disciples Path, it's a series of six short workbooks that are, every one of the workbooks is either five or six sessions, and it starts with a book called The Beginning. So if you've got adults that are brand new believers, it is, um, it's a new believer study for them, and it, go, and it walks through other studies that help them understand spiritual disciplines and the issues, uh, the, the major issues of the faith, of doctrine, and even the mission of God about how to walk in God's mission. And, and so it's a great new tool that if people are looking for a path to get adult disciples on, uh, it, it's just a, a perfect place to start. Absolutely. And I would just uh, encourage uh, listeners that have not checked that out, that that's a great tool for them to begin with, a good curriculum piece to start with if you're looking for a, a disciple-making tool for your church. Uh, one last thing, Philip. You, you gave an illustration at the group's conference about the Chevy assembly plant. Remember that, yeah. remember that illustration? I do. And, and give, us to, give it to us real quick because I think it's really pertinent to our discussion today. Yeah, where I live, I can drive about 45 minutes and get to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where the Chevrolet has the Corvette assembly plant, which is uh, by by far one of the most perfect uh, vehicles in the world today. And and you stand at the end of that assembly line and you watch these Chevrolet Corvettes come off the assembly line. And you can go to the end of the assembly line and you can look at the worker and you can demand – I mean, you can scream and shout and demand that he gives you a minivan, but he's going to give you a Corvette. Or you can demand that he give you a toaster oven. He's still going to give you a Corvette because the assembly plant is designed in all of its parts, workers, and the assembly line process to make 
Corvettes. And so you need to look at your small group system, your small group ministry, whether you call it Sunday school, adult Bible fellowships, or whatever. But the small group ministry of your church is an outcome-based system of discipleship. And whatever it's spitting out, it is perfectly designed to make. And so if you don't like the results of what you're seeing in the lives of the people in your church, then you've got to go back in and retool the system. You have to retrain the workers. You've got to put different parts into the assembly line process of, so that you can get something different at the end. And so even in my own church right now, we're doing that. We're doing that at my church here in Nashville where we're looking at our adult discipleship process and we're asking, are we getting a result in people's lives that we are satisfied with? And if we're not, let's get into the system and find what's broke, what's not working, and let's retool it. Yeah, and my prayer for everyone listening is that your church would be a finely tuned uh, assembly plant that produces reproducing disciples and that will ignite a movement of multiplication in your church, in your community, and all around the world. Uh, Philip, thank you so much for being a part of the uh, Disciple First podcast and for all the work that you're doing. God bless you, and thank you so much. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. And I hope that all those that are listening out there have a great week in their small groups. For more information on events and content, visit DiscipleFirst.com.